It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. According to NASA, we will land the first woman and the next man on the moon by 2024. How will we do that? We will do it through the Artemis program. The Artemis program. We're going to use innovative technology. We're going to explore more of the lunar service than ever before. We're going to collaborate with commercial and international partners and establish sustainable exploration by 2028. Then we'll use what we've learned on and around the moon to take the next giant leap. And that, of course, is sending astronauts to Mars. You have heard me get over the moon, so to speak, excited <laughs> about spaceflight. Remember that day a few weeks ago when uh, you and I were counting down to the SpaceX launch? And, oh, the weather, the weather changed our plans. We had to wait for the weekend. Well, that level of excitement is what I'm feeling today, if not more so, because we have a local connection to what's happening right now. Well, what is happening right now? I'll tell you this. Northrop Grumman has a presence here, a substantial presence here in the state of Utah, and it is here in Utah that Northrop Grumman has constructed rocket boosters which will be the driving force behind lifting all of this advanced technology up into outer space, beyond the space station, beyond Earth's gravity. These giant solid fuel rockets were made right here in Utah. And a few days ago, they were loaded up onto a train, which made its way to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, where it arrived just yesterday. All right. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Jim Bridenstein, you know him. He's uh, a former member of Congress, current administrator of NASA. He explained this Artemis mission in an interview released by NASA not long ago. So 50 years after Apollo, we have a new program named after Apollo's twin sister. And in this new program, a sustainable return to the moon for the first time in human history, we're going to have the opportunity to send not just men to the moon, but also women to the moon. Why go to the moon? So what we're doing is we're going to Mars, and the moon is the way to get to Mars. So there's a number of advantages to using the moon to get to Mars. Chief among the advantages is that we can learn how to live and work on another world, a world that's not our own, utilizing the resources of that world. How to work and live on another world. I, I, I'm 35 years old which means that when Neil Armstrong first took a step on the moon, I was nary a twinkling in my father's eye. <laughs> but as I have uh, become more and more excited and familiar with what happened then and what could happen tomorrow, I, I get so excited about the, the future. Let me uh, qu quick, quickly step away from uh, this Artemis mission for a second and just share with you some information I have here in front of me. And it is a number of technologies that you and I enjoy today that we wouldn't have without space travel. I, I know you've heard this before, probably when you were in high school and such like that. Oh, cell phones. Yeah, we wouldn't have cell phones, uh, GPS, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, let me, let me walk through some of these things on the list because you may have heard some of them. You surely haven't heard all of them. 
And, and why do I share this? Well, because with this newly rededicated commitment to space travel and this new excitement for advancing the technology that will get us to the moon and beyond, ultimately to Mars, well, the good news for you and me, maybe we don't care so much about space, but we do care about the conveniences of living our lives and some of the byproducts of the advancements in space travel, we'll trickle down and we will enjoy them ourselves. Camera phones, number one. In the 1990s, there was uh, a, a team at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they were working to create cameras small enough to fit on spacecraft and with scientific quality. And so today, a third of all the cameras contain technology that was developed uh, in, in, with an eye towards spaceflight. Here's another one you wouldn't have thought of, maybe scratch-resistant lenses. Yeah, scratch-resistant lenses. The Lewis Research Center adapted uh, these to, or attempted rather, to develop diamond-hard coatings for aerospace systems. Well, they accomplished that mission, and the byproduct is that today you and I have scratch-resistant lenses. And that's a convenience, sure. Not sure if it saves lives, but it's certainly a convenience. You know what does save lives? CAT scans. CAT scans. The space program needs a, a pretty good digital image. And the Joint Propulsion Lab played a lead role in developing that technology, which in turn helped create CAT scanners and radiography. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? Water purification systems in the 60s. NASA was creating an electrolyte silver iodizer to purify astronauts' drinking water. Well, you head over to the sporting goods store today, you're going to see the byproduct of that research. Another one, dustbusters. Dustbusters? No, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how often you use dustbusters. We have one in the in the SUV that we got for little baby Piper. It plugs into the uh, little adapter there, so that's all very good. Uh, what happened was in the late '70s, NASA approached Black and Decker to develop a lightweight device to collect samples on the moon. A little device, a handheld device with suction capabilities to collect those samples. Well, guess what? Turns out what you use to suck up moon rocks can also be helpful in cleaning up the crumbs left behind by children in the back of the SUV. Another thing we use uh, fairly often here with little baby Piper, ear thermometers. NASA and Diatech developed an 8-ounce aural thermometer. That's so you can take a uh, temperature in the ear there, which uses infrared technology to measure the amount of energy emitted by the eardrum. You get the temperature that way. Here's another one which has saved lives. The jaws of life. Yeah, the jaws of life. That's what police officers and firefighters use to extract victims of car crashes. The jaws of life uh, applied in miniature version to the explosive charge used to separate devices on the space shuttle. Yeah. There's more here. Baby formula. Computer mice or mouses. What's the plural of mouse for a computer? I don't know. I'm going to say mouses. Uh, and also portable computers. All of that a byproduct of our effort to reach into the sky and travel in space. And guess what? We're back at it. And Utah is in the middle of it. And it excites me so much. Because there's going to be a day here pretty soon where we uh, have our attention again trained on the Kennedy Space Center when a rocket will launch into sky bound for the moon, and it will be a Utah-manufactured rocket propelling it all. There's a certain amount of pride 
you and I ought to feel to know that. Pretty cool stuff. In a moment, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking to a former NASA astronaut. He is currently the vice president of the propulsion systems at Northrop Grumman here in Utah, also a retired Air Force colonel. Uh, He's been to space. He knows his stuff, and he's going to share some of those details with us. He's going to tell us why, why Utah is the perfect place, the ideal place, the only place where these rockets could be produced in an effort to propel us forward, not only to the moon, but onward to Mars. I uh, also want to re-extend my invitation for you to give me a call at 801-575-7668. Leave me a voicemail. Answer this question. If you had the ability to turn off political ads on Facebook, would you? 801-575-7668. Quick break. Back with an astronaut. Welcome back to Live Mike. Starting off this segment, I have some breaking news. This from the State Department of Health. Reporting four new deaths, four Utahns have lost their lives as a result of the coronavirus, bringing the total number to 149, 407 new positive tests and 2,992 new tests administered. That brings uh, us also to 29 new hospitalizations. Uh, the, the unfortunate number there, uh, four new deaths, four new Utahns to have lost their lives as a result of the coronavirus I invite you to stick around in about 30 minutes from right now here on this program. We will air live a press conference hosted by Governor Gary Herbert as well as state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn, where she is certain to reveal more and added details uh, regarding the situation here in the state of Utah as we continue to battle the coronavirus live here at just after 1.30. You heard me speaking in the last segment before the break about how excited I am for Utah to be the home of these Northrop Grumman rocket boosters, which have now been successfully delivered to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida for their use in the Artemis mission. And joining me now is Charlie Precourt, Vice President of the Propulsion Systems at Northrop Grumman. I'll also point out retired Air Force Colonel, as well as former NASA astronaut, space shuttle pilot, and commander. Mr. Precourt, it's an honor to have you on the program today. How are you? Thanks, Juan. Nice to have uh, the time to spend with you here today. Doing great. Tell me, with the delivery of these rocket boosters to the Space Center, how big a deal is this really? Well, it is. It, <laughs> this is going to be the largest rocket ever flown, um, and uh, we're really proud to be a part of that. And if you can imagine what the Saturn V was like, the uh, final configuration of what we're calling the Space Launch System for NASA's Artemis mission to return to the moon will produce uh, more lift than uh, Saturn V did. It's based on uh, the space shuttle's technology, and it's uh, derived and increased in size from the space shuttle quite a bit. And so in about a year, we'll be able to see one of the most phenomenal launches uh, that we've ever had. So we're very, very excited to be a part of that. That's amazing. Uh, the most powerful rocket in the world. Tell me, why why are they built here in Utah? Well, we have a, uh, a, a legacy dating back to the early uh, 1960s, even before that, when uh, the nation started to create uh, capabilities for solid rocket motors. Uh, there were two plants that were stood up here in Utah, um, one up in Promontory, uh, just west of Brigham City, and another one in Magna, just uh, west of Salt Lake City, that produce uh, rocket motors for a variety of, of uh, government um, national security purposes. Um, 
most notably both the Minuteman uh, nuclear missile defense system as well as the Trident submarine nuclear missile system. The rocket motors used for those for national security have been produced here since the beginning of those programs. And uh, and then when the space shuttle came along, because of that technical capability, NASA selected what was then Thiokol to produce those boosters. And over the years, Thiokol um, emerged to become part of Northrop Grumman as we are today. And so those plants have been a major production capability for rocket motor technology. It's a really a national asset that Utah has uh, for a capability for both national security and for deep space exploration. There is reason and, to be uh, proud. Go ahead. I was going to add, just as a coincidence, the boosters that we delivered, uh, there are 10 of ten segments. They'll be assembled into two solid rocket motors for the big rocket down there at Kennedy. Along for the ride were two uh, similar boosters for uh, an Air Force program called our Omega rocket that uh, will lift national security satellites. And we intentionally designed them to be very, very similar in, in form, fit, function, and size so that both the Air Force and NASA could benefit from the same production line. Outstanding. Anything more you can tell us about those uh, security satellites? Uh, no, not well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually uh, someone else's. Uh, expertise, if you will, in a different part of the company, but we're proud to be able to put them in space. I can tell you that. Very good, I am they sure. Do a, they do a lot for us. Let me ask you this uh, on a personal note. As a man who has piloted a space shuttle, what does it mean to you that we now as a nation are so committed to this mission, the Artemis mission, to put uh, the first man, or, or, I'm sorry, the first woman, the next man on the surface of the moon and then onward to Mars? What's it mean to you? It it fulfills, uh, you know, a dream of mine, um, which is to be able to see us take the next steps for the next generation. I, I have been extremely privileged to, to have had a career that included four missions on the space shuttle. And uh, I learned so much through that. I, I grew up as a, a youngster that didn't have a lot of means and, and made it through the Air Force Academy, became a fighter pilot for the Air Force. And in those days, uh, you know, we had the Cold War, and then um, the wall came down, and next I found myself flying in space with the Russian counterparts and uh, learned so much through that. Uh, it just is space brings nations together and allow us to do things that we didn't imagine we could do. And the inspiration that provides for the next generation is not to be underestimated. It, it really is a, a big deal for a lot of the young, um, you know, Americans coming out of college to be able to aspire to a, a career that um, allows them to do things that haven't been done before, to to be a part of a program bigger than themselves. It's a, it's a major deal, and it it, uh, it in parallel will advance our te technologies and our way of life and our our standard of living because of the technologies that we emerge from it. Um, and so it's just a great program, and I'm, I'm thrilled that um, after having had the privilege of flying, I'm now able to contribute from industry to help the next generation. Well, you've got the right stuff, and it'll be wonderful to see the new flock of uh, Americans with the right stuff uh, join this mission and others as we continue to explore. 
Speaking of exploration, frontiers. We have uh, passed through many new frontiers. And in addition to Mars, what do you see as some of the new frontiers that will be broken through uh, as this Artis Artemis mission uh, commences and endures, uh, powered by these Northrop Grumman rocket boosters? Well, the the uh, if you will the the one of the analogs that I like to point to is is the McMurdo Station on Antarctica, where we have a, an outpost that uh, researchers and scientists can spend extensive periods of time uh, researching uh, on Antarctica. We, through Artemis, would intend to be able to build a similar kind of capability on the surface of the Moon, where we could exploit different capabilities there, research and technology development. Um, the ability to one day go to Mars, um, hopefully not too far down the road from the moon landings, uh, would also be paired up, I believe, with uh, future uh, exploration of asteroids and near-Earth objects. And then, in my mind, um, some of uh, the more intriguing things that could come along, I think, uh, for humanity would be a real game-changer, is if you look at um, some of the icy moons of the bigger planets like uh, Europa, a moon of Jupiter, uh, has a, an icy surface and an ocean underneath it. And with an ocean, you suspect potentially life. And what a game changer it would be for humanity to finally discover there really is life somewhere else. Imagine um, that. Of any form. And, uh, and so, you know, space opens our aperture as to what is in our world and what we can learn from it. Imagine that. And step one being powered by rocket boosters manufactured right here in the great state of Utah. Charlie Precourt, my guest, Vice President, Propulsion Systems at Northrop Grumman. Sir, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And if I'm honest, I look forward to many more conversations like this. I wish we could keep talking here all afternoon. I'd love that. Thank you. Appreciate Very good. It. Have a great day. We're going to take a quick break. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Man, space gets me so excited. Am I too much? Am I over the top on this excitement for space? I don't think so. I don't think so one bit. I'm late for a break. I need to go. Uh, and when I come back, I'm going to talk to you uh, at greater length about this deal coming out of Facebook. It was announced just today that Facebook is going to allow users to completely turn off political ads. Yeah, just turn it off switch. No more political ads in your news feed. Would you like that? I'll share with you the details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.